0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in
1: your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
0: well even though we've already kind of started this is the official start of our Davos coverage with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. Uh, these are your headlines. A resounding victory for Donald Trump in Iowa cements his position as the Republican presidential frontrunner whilst Ron DeSantis secures a surprise second place ahead of Nikki Haley.
2: This has been some period of time and most importantly, we want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout, what a crowd. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together.
0: ECB board member Robert Holtzman tells CNBC exclusively, wait for it, that the central bank may not cut rates at all in 2024, and that expectations for a policy pivot are premature.
3: I'm afraid uh, leaving Davos, those people will be deeply disappointed. Everything we have seen in recent weeks points in the opposite direction. So I may even foresee no cut at all this year.
4: IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva tells CNBC that she predicts a soft landing for the global economy, but says central bankers still need to stay alert to risks.
5: The job of central banks is not entirely done. In fact, we are in the last, most difficult mile when they have to decide Do they need to keep tight or ease? And error in whichever direction uh, is something they need to watch.
4: Houthi rebels hit a US-owned commercial ship in the Gulf of Aden, ratcheting up tensions in the region days after America and the UK strike targets in Yemen.
0: And Asian equities come under pressure with Hong Kong's Hang Seng leading declines while the Dow Looks set to open more than a hundred points lower after the holiday weekend. Well, we. It feels like we've been here for a week already. We've already both done so many amazing uh, interviews. I loved your Gorgieva yesterday. My Holtzman was just fascinating for the pushback as well. Mm. Um, Welcome to Davos Early Shift. It's minus 13. Well,
4: actually, I did ask uh, Kristalina Gorgieva from the IMF about your Robert Holtzman sunbite, about potentially no rate cuts in 2024 and she said well he is the hawk over at the ECB so he does follow Hayek doesn't he in the Monetary School of Austria exactly but
0: look it's fascinating and I know we've got a lot of big stories to get through and we've got another central banker coming in Mm. a few moments time but 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 it was interesting our preparation for this and and I saw you the other day reading the 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 big WETH uh, title of this conference rebuilding trust as well and absolutely the breakout pieces the WEF loves the thematic as Mm -hmm. well but I've got to be honest I think events have already moved on I I think the geopolitics, I think AI is enormous. I think the election year, interest rates as well, Mm -hmm. concerns about growth in China as well. Uh, Ukraine has already been big here as well. So I kind of think, I think already the big topics of 2023 already front and foremost here already.
4: I've had some meaty conversations around AI just to pick up on that theme, because I think we come to the mountain with not a lot of clarity as to how it disrupts our world. Some positive comments, and this was from Fresenius. The CEO saying, look, we've had this pilot And it shows us that the physicians, the doctors who've spent three to four hours on average writing discharge letters for patients after they've had surgery can do away with the three to four hours using AI. And that's instrumental in terms of delivering actual medical care versus doing admin. So that was one comment. And the other comment was from the IMF saying, look, there's going to be large-scale disruption that's in developed nations, in emerging economies, less so in low-income countries because they've got less of the technology to disrupt at well, this point. Credit
0: to John Sosinski, who we used to speak to always yes. in preview of Davos. A couple of years, probably about five years ago, he said there is isn't a brain surgeon on this planet who can Pour through the kind of brain data that a, a good AI computer can or And that was four mm. or five years ago. So, you know, the thematic was there, but it's only in 2023 that the fireworks lit up. Talking of fireworks, one of the key issues, which is definitely coming up already, is politics. What's uh, the and,
4: geopolitics uh, and the domestic and politics? the
0: elections that are, are going to mm. be dominant? in 2024, none more so than the US presidential election. And uh, my goodness me, what a night in Iowa. And we're worried about minus 12. That's nothing compared to what Iowans uh, have had to contend with to get to the caucus. Well, the result was decisive. Donald Trump has won a decisive victory in the Republicans' Iowa caucus. The former president won over 51% of the vote. Now, surprisingly, Ron DeSantis took a second spot with more than 21% of the vote, forcing Nikki Haley into third. Now, Trump's victory is the largest ever in a contested Iowa caucus, beating, I think it was George W. Bush in 2000, who had um, the next biggest after that in the low 40s. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy, he dropped out of the race and, yes, he endorsed Donald Trump for president. Well, speaking in Iowa, the former president struck a collaborative tone.
2: I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a a good a good time together we're all having a good time together and uh, I think they both actually did very well I really do I think they both did very well we don't even know what the outcome of second place is I also want to congratulate Vivek because he did a hell of a job he came from Uh, zero, and he's uh, got a big percent, probably eight percent, almost eight percent, and that's an amazing job. They all did. They're all very smart, very smart people, very capable people.
4: Ron DeSantis also addressed supporters vowing not to give up.
1: We thank you for your effort. We thank you for your support. You helped us
0: get a ticket punched out of the Hawkeye State. We have a lot of work to do, but I can
1: tell you this, As the next president of the United States, I am going to get the job done for this country. I am not...
0: I am not going to make any excuses, and I guarantee you this, I will not let you down. Well, third place Nikki Haley looked to the future, striking an optimistic tone. It's got to happen in New Hampshire for her later this month.
2: But when you look
6: at how we're doing, in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, and beyond, I can safely say, tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race.
4: Coming up on today's show, we have a stacked lineup with the CEOs of Standard Chartered and Carlsberg, we are joined by head of states, including the presidents of Poland and Latvia. And we'll also hear from Portuguese central bank governor Mario Sentino and the Saudi investment minister Khalid al-Feli.
0: Well, the ECB board member Robert Holtzman, uh, I spoke to him yesterday. He was in combative tone as well. Uh, and he said yesterday that expectations for a policy pivot, are premature. You've got to remember, he's the Austrian here, the Austrian school, yeah? Uh, Adding that those expecting a raft of rate cuts in 2024, well, he said they're going to be disappointed.
3: I'm afraid uh, leaving Davos, those people will be deeply disappointed because you can imagine that they're... We'll talk about cut yet, because we should not talk about it. Everything we have seen in recent weeks points in the opposite direction. So I may even foresee no cut at all this year. What has got to change for that to change
0: as well? Because a lot of um, the economists, these esteemed economists at the US investment banks and a lot of the watchers are saying there is a problem with recession that needs to be addressed. but. But I guess you're being um, more orthodox and saying, no, we have to sort out inflation
3: before we worry about the recession. I think inflation is certainly an important element. Unless we see a clear decline towards 2%, we won't be able to make any announcement at all when we're going to cut. Mm. But in addition to inflation, we have the overlying problem, which is the geopolitical change which has taken place of which what we have seen for the time being, or what happens around Israel and Hamas and uh, Houthis and Hezbollah, it may be only the beginning, not the end of the story.
0: Look, there are a lot of people who criticize Davos. Oh, it's, it's this, it's that as well. But there is no place in the world where we get the kind of access to so many amazing policymakers in such a short period of time. One of those people is Mario Sentino, who is the Bank of Portugal governor and ECB governing council member and joins Karen and myself now. Mario, thank you for braving the, oh, it's wow. minus 12, I say, Iowans would laugh at this weather and say <laughs> so it's mild, but but it's cold enough for us anyway. Look, um, I spoke to Robert yesterday, Robert Holtzman of the Austrian Central Bank, and I wouldn't expect anything otherwise. He pushes back. He's a hawk. We get it as well. But but can you give us a little bit more insight into the, the broader thinking at the ECB as well? Because he's saying, don't count on any cuts in 2024. That isn't necessarily the consensus view within the Governing Council, is it?
1: Well, um, we remain data dependent. Yeah. That's, that's uh, uh, how we frame uh, uh, our decisions. And we have to take all information uh, on board. Uh, And we've been doing that. Actually, one of the greatest successes of the ECB lately is to uh, be able to anchor uh, expectations for inflation in the medium term at 2%. And this is because we are credible. We have to remain so. So uh, we have... Plenty of new data. Uh, It's coming uh, on a daily basis on inflation, prices, producer prices, the economy. Um, The euro area doesn't grow for five quarters in a row. The first quarter, 2024, is going to be challenging. Inflation is coming down actually faster than it went up we now focus more on core and sometimes on uh, services inflation. But let me tell you uh, one number. If services inflation is coming down since July 2023, and it's coming down uh, twice uh, faster uh, as it went up. Uh, so we are in uh, good shape. the trajectory
0: to... isn't enough, is it? It's actually achieved. So, well, or is it? This is my question. If, if we, we're getting to somewhere in the region of 3% for European inflation on various measures, but let's say that's roughly where we are. Do we have to get to 2% at the headline CPI figure or even the core CPI figure in order to see rate cuts? Or is it seeing the trajectory to Uh, get to 2% that matters? Of
1: course not. Of course not. We we need to see the trajectory. Uh, We target medium-term inflation. We don't target February inflation uh, at all. Uh, and, And the trajectory is very positive right now. Of course, this requires... Um, second round effects coming from wages uh, or profit margins uh, to adapt because the pressure on inflation right now and it's fair to say it, it's more domestic. The shocks that uh, brought inflation up to 10.6% back in October 2022 are gone, most of them Uh, and so we need to take more domestic issues Uh, and that's uh, the message uh, that uh, I'd like to leave. We are Uh, in a good trajectory, inflation is coming down, the economy is shaky, Uh, it's not growing, Uh, this stagnation for five quarters, it's it's really different from what happened in, in the US in the same period. We need to take care of it, otherwise, I mean, I don't say that overshooting is a possibility, but we don't need to do more uh, than it's uh, actually needed to bring inflation in the medium term to 2%. Yeah. Since since the end of 2022, all our forecasts to 25 show a very... Uh, uh, well anchored, uh, also forecast for inflation in, in, in the May medium term.
4: Help us out with the time, frame though because we're still in the dark as to what rate cuts look like in 2024, and not helped by Holzman yesterday as well, suggesting perhaps no rate cuts. March, the Croatian central bank governor says March is key because you get fresh data, you have fresh economic projections. Is March a key month in your view?
1: We've been uh, surprised um, in the last three to four months uh, in the downside with inflation numbers. This is this is good, even if we make small mistakes in, in the forecast. Uh, but this tells us that the process is on. Uh, and once uh, inflation starts going down sustainably, with an economy, again, let me tell you for the third time <laughs> this morning, that is not growing, that the challenges are huge uh we need to 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 be open to get all data uh, on board and decide upon that
4: let me tackle the macro story from a different perspective than those around wages we have seen higher wage mm-hmm. settlements that is still an issue when we talk about the labor market pressure but europe's very different to other markets structurally unemployment levels have been much higher traditionally yes. where do we settle on the unemployment level in the eurozone then will there be casualties Or have we now seen a fundamental change because of the tight labour market here too?
1: The labour market is part of also the success story of Europe. Uh, We have a much larger labour market. Participation uh, keeps increasing in Europe, contrary, for example, to what happened in the US. Um, We have a much lower unemployment duration. It's uh, at one of the lowest levels in uh, more than 10 years. So the market is much more fluid in Europe these days, and that helps in terms of the wage setting as well. We have migration. Fifty percent of the wage uh, of the employment gains in Europe came from migrants. This is, this is a very different labor market. Wage, w- wages uh, are uh, very important at this stage. I just mentioned that to you. Uh, But we need to remember that uh, real wages uh, are still 7 percentage points down since the beginning of the inflationary period. This is uh, also a very strong contrast with the US. They will come up. It's it's actually important for Europe that real wages recover. We need to be cautious about that process.
0: you, you quite rightly said we've had enormous shocks—the so- so-called supply-side shocks, the ones that people thought were transitory. That and then, of course, we had embedded inflation. And, and you talked about we've got to focus on the domestic, we've got to focus on Europe and their own factors. But the problem is there are new shocks coming down the pipeline potentially. And again, it's something your colleague from the uh, the, the Central Bank of Austria mentioned to me yesterday. And actually, could these upset the apple cart in terms of the trajectory? for inflation in Europe and indeed cutting rates, i.e. shocks on supply coming from geopolitical events?
1: Well, if we remain open and data dependent, my, answer, my short answer will be yes, but those are not in the baseline. We don't have them. Uh, we can design scenarios and policy responses to those scenarios, but those are not our, base, our baseline. We don't know, uh, actually, if those shocks will materialize or not. But we must remain open, of course, to take them on board, once they materialize, not before they materialize. We must be predictable. Uh, policymakers uh, at these um, junctures must be predictable. Uh, we must show our baseline, believe in the baseline, and, and act according to the baseline. If then there are deviations, we, of course, uh, must... Uh, Read the data, report, communicate, and then react. This is the triple R strategy that I think we must follow: read, report, and react. But these, uh, for us to be, for, for, for us to be useful, I will say, uh, at this uh, stage for for Europe, we must um, uh, we must be focused on increasing confidence in the European economy. Uh, all uh, sentiment indicators in Europe are at very low levels. Uh, PMIs do not recover significantly, if anything. Uh, we we have. Uh, still uh, quite a bit of a challenge. Which is extraordinary.
4: If you look at the amount of fiscal spending that has taken place at a government level, at a European level, it's extraordinary that sentiment is still too low. What do you say to those policymakers? Because when I spoke to Kristalina Gorgiev yesterday, she was saying, look, you need to be careful. There need to be fiscal buffers in case something else goes wrong. If we look at a lot of the subsidies handed out across Europe in recent times, a lot of these are fossil fuel subsidies because of the energy crisis. What Mm -hmm. would you say to policymakers about the fiscal
1: spending up. we we must remain vigilant That's that's the main goal uh, we, we we did not have the fiscal stimulus the US had in 2020 through 2022 actually uh, fiscal deficits in europe were 17 percentage points of uh, gdp lower uh, in the this three years period uh, compared with, uh, with with europe so uh, remaining vigilant, having buffers, that's all good um, uh, medicines, good recipes to, 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 to the present. And, and fiscal, uh, the fiscal dimension in Europe used to be uh, a much bigger challenge than, I, than it is today. Uh, financial stability in Europe these days is not an issue. Uh, we have built on buffers, we have built on new institutions. Um, it's not institutions. An issue
4: because the bond Vigilantes are not coming for Europe, but it could be an issue if they took a different approach.
1: No, no, I mean, I, I'm not saying that we should not remain vigilant. I'm just saying that we have new instruments today that mm. we didn't have before, uh, and, and we must keep an eye on all these, as I mentioned at, yeah. uh, at, at, my, uh, at, at the beginning, in domestic issues. We need to look inside Europe. We need to find the strengths and the stimulus within Europe for the economy to stabilize, to grow, uh, and f- controlling inflation, of course.
0: If only everyone in life reported, read and reacted, life would be a little bit more predictable, as you say. Mario, we have to leave it there.
1: Uh, say, thank thank you. you so much indeed thank for joining you. us. Thank you um, for having me. A
0: pleasure, as ever, for both of us, I know. Thank you uh, so Mario much. Centino, of course, the governor of the uh, Bank of Portugal and ECB governing council member. <laughs> You want more on interest rates? Yes, you do, because it's dominating a lot of your discussions, your investment decisions and, of course, discussions here in Davos. You can join us for my headline panel at uh, 815 CT. Yes, I'm leaving, Karen, for a little bit. Uh, when We're going to hear from the IMS, Gita Gopinath. And I think we need more ECB. Yes, you can't never have enough. Uh, Francois Viroy de Gallo uh, will be on my panel as well, alongside the CEOs of the Nasdaq and Cisco as well. It's a busy day. You
4: just lobbied with to put a panel
0: in the morning so you could get <laughs> out of minus 12, <laughs> right? <laughs> give, I've been give sitting me here for too many years. So
4: I can, I can get out of the minus 12 degrees. There, there was
0: a little bit of that, I've got to be honest. Um, we're going to hear keynote speeches as well from China's Premier, that's uh, Li Chiang, uh, and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, and the Ukrainian President, Vladimir Zelensky.
4: AI is a dominant theme here in Davos. I asked IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva about their report claiming that AI will disrupt up to 40%, 40%? of the world's only workforce. 40%? Only, well, At this point, don't forget we're talking about the immediate disruption. Yeah, sure. Let's take a listen.
5: If we are dreaming for higher growth and higher spending, we need higher productivity. Artificial intelligence can bring that higher productivity, but only if Economies are well prepared to embrace it. Uh, we just created an index on uh, AI preparedness. It's a very interesting result. It, it has more no
4: warnings in there than anything. Oh, There's well, there are like many,
5: many, many warnings. The first warning is, watch it. Globally, 40% of jobs will be impacted by artificial intelligence. In advanced economies where there are more cognitive jobs, 60% of jobs would be impacted. We are not yet thinking through how to regulate, how to adapt. We are not thinking about social impact because unquestionably artificial intelligence left without measures to, to buffer it will create more inequality. Those who are helped by artificial intelligence, actually many jobs will be, enhanced by artificial intelligence, they'll rip off higher salaries and higher higher returns on capital. But those who lose their jobs, and there would be a good proportion of jobs that would be wiped out, they need social safety ropes. They need help through retraining, uh, through protection. So my main point here is it's arriving. Do not close your eyes, put your head in the sand.
4: The one thing we keep hearing about AI is that it's going to disrupt healthcare. That is the one thing that people say, right?
0: Well, I think it's, it's happened. Yes. I mean, it's amazing. I, I, I love these stats about you can have the best brain surgeon on the planet and they cannot in, a, in like a thousand years pour through the same data that yeah. AI, a good AI program can on, on brain tumors. It's, maybe. it's, almost it's a, phenomenal. a
4: stab in the dark too in terms of coming up with medicines. But I did catch up with the CEO of German healthcare group Fresenius mm. and asked him how transformative AI would be for the sector.
6: I wouldn't even say it's coming. I would say it's there. And if you look at the statistics of at the investment spent in 2022, that's the latest statistics we still have, the biggest sector where the money flew into was healthcare. And it will be really pivotal, and I'm telling you in the the next decade where it already started. Why is it so? Because it's gonna impact the entire business system and value chain. It will lead to dramatically better outcome and it will drive productivity in the system. Think about that more than half of our clinical decisions are still unprecise, so AI and the use of structured data can help make more and better precise decisions can help the patient to get to personalized treatment today already on oncology care, you talk about two more boards where you know from different kind of faculties. The MDs come together and discuss the disease. And now think about somebody sitting at that table, which is called your avatar, coming with a lot of data and knowledge to really get more precise decision-making and personalized healthcare.
4: How does the AI story translate to the global south as we talk about closing gaps in healthcare? Does it come quickly to the poorer countries of the world, or is it just too expensive at this stage?
6: Let me answer this one in in two sentences. The first one is AI does drive productivity, so it frees up resources also in the well-established countries. And well-established countries are in need for staff, which sometimes we also source from other countries. So if we get support there, it is already alleviating the pain for countries which are also in need for medical staff. By and large, I would say Where we stand today, there is still an inequality also when it comes to AI because AI is also asymmetric in knowledge. You need a lot of knowledge. There are not too many people on the global planet who have deep knowledge on AI. AI is highly energy intense. So part of this health equity story needs to be how we can more equally spread the knowledge and obviously the
0: funds.
4: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
0: For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.